Hi everyone, welcome to the Daily Bruin Sports Podcast, Out of Bounds. My name is Sam Conan, I'm the sports editor. Today I'm joined by co-host Ryan Smith, who's a Daily Bruin senior staffer. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing good, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So uh, we decided to bring back Out of Bounds, thought it was finally time to bring it back. Get our voices out there, talk about UCLA sports, just kind of... See what's going on. The first topic today, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, so we we don't know what happens in the Colorado-UCLA game. Uh, so we're just going to talk a little bit about the season so far. Mick Cronin's first season with UCLA men's basketball. Ryan, just general thoughts so far and the job Cronin has done and what you think you've seen from the team this year. I think what we've seen from the team is about what most of us expected in terms of record and performance. You and I have talked about it for weeks at this point. Just the biggest thing with this team is there isn't really that go-to offensive player, which makes life difficult for that team on that side of the ball. But, you know, defensively, they've shown they've shown promise in that area. And obviously, when they keep teams under that at about 70-point benchmark, they have real success. So once they're able to figure that out consistently and find that score, whoever it may be, whether it be Hawkes coming into his own, uh, maybe Kaiman figures that out. We've seen flashes of Chris Smith. I think this team does have have some potential moving forward. Yeah, the thing is, I, I feel like the, the whole issue about not having a leading score isn't going to be solved this season. But the promising thing is that I don't think anyone from this team is going to leave. Really, the only candidates would be Chris Smith, who I think we're in agreement isn't ready for the NBA, and maybe Jalen Hill, who he's definitely talented down low, great rebounder, good in the post, but also not ready for the NBA. So the thing is, you can use this entire season to develop for next year, which is good. It may be tough just because go-to score isn't in any of these guys DNA but at least you know that you have a full year to work on getting these guys into that mode which is nice I mean I, I'll I'll ask you your opinion on this in a bit but I guess moving on to like a standout player so far this year I, I mean I was just talking about Jalen Hill I think he's been really great so far this year he hasn't been there every game but he's he's really showed up in big moments like the Oregon State game Last week, he didn't hit a shot at all. He didn't hit a single field goal in the game, but he came in the last 10 seconds, hit four free throws to put the game away. And that's just kind of the really intense mentality that I like to see from these guys, guys who aren't go-to scorers, who are still coming up big in those big moments. He's a great rebounder, so averaging almost eight per game, averaging almost double-digit points per game. He's the best player field goal percentage from the field, best shooting percentage, effective field goal percentage, player efficiency rating. He's the best player on the team. He and Chris Smith are both up there and win shares for 40. And I, I just think he's really come into his own this year after kind of being in Moses Brown's shadow last year. So I don't know if you have thoughts on Jalen Hill or who you think a different breakout star has been this year. But yeah, we've, we've talked about Jalen Hill this year. He's If I had to pick a team MVP, he would also be my team MVP. But to just go with something different, I'd say I've been most impressed by the guys who didn't start the season in that starting lineup. And obviously the starting lineup's been very fluid and Cronin's been very open about playing the guys that have the hot hand and the guys who he can trust on any given night. But guys like Kaiman, guys like Hawkeyes, the way that they've been able to integrate themselves into that rotation and really kind of burst out these last couple weeks has been really nice to see, especially with the way the season started. Obviously now they're down a man without Sharif, so it's good to see that those guys have come in and kind of found their way as freshmen. Yeah, and then um, I I know we like talking positives, (laughs) 
But this team is sitting at 500 in the middle of conference play, probably not going to make March Madness. I know this is probably about what a lot of people expected, but can you just kind of talk about who or what the biggest disappointment has been this year? I'd say from a player standpoint, I think Tiger Campbell has been the most disappointing player just because, I mean, when you have expectations and stuff like that, obviously he had the knee injury, but we really haven't seen a lot of offensive potential from Tiger. The passing has come and gone. I would really like to see his finishing around the rim be better. It's not just a Tiger issue. It's mostly a team issue. You know, this team gets blocked at the basket more than any team I can remember in my four years at UCLA. And Cronin's talked about that. But yeah, I would say Tiger Campbell has been probably the most disappointing thing about the season. But again, coming off that knee injury, it's his first collegiate season. The expectations can't be too high, especially when that team doesn't have that person Tiger can look to to get that bucket, as we've talked about. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about Tiger in a sec, but talking about getting blocked at the rim, I know people have tweeted about it. It's a big pet peeve of mine, but when you get guys like Hill and Cody Riley and Chris Smith and whoever else it is getting offensive rebounds, and this team does get a lot of offensive rebounds, but every single time they go down, they bounce with two hands and then go back up. And, oh my gosh, just go back up. Get the rebound, tip it in, go right back up. Don't let the defender gather themselves. It is the most frustrating thing ever. But back, back to Tiger Campbell, I think, like you were saying, it's definitely tough for a guy of his play style to fit in with this team because the guys who have been around on this team have been used to a ball-dominant score like Jalen Hands or Chris Wilkes, and they aren't around this year. So we don't really have an off-ball scorer, guys who are used to playing that way, and those are the guys that would kind of fit best with Tiger. So in this offense, Tiger would be most effective as a three-point shooter, and he hasn't really pulled the trigger too often or as often as he should and his passing has kind of been lackluster just because he seems a little bit timid in terms of making the entry pass, which hasn't been great. I don't blame him because the the offense isn't particularly fluid, but it has definitely been an issue, yeah. And then I think Prince Ali's been a disappointment too. Mick Cronin's talked about him defensively, but just offensively, you get a fifth-year guy like that who turns the ball over at the rate he does, who puts a bad mid-range jumper at the rate he does. He just is not an effective player. And I think Cronin's starting to catch on. Last two or three games, he really isn't getting any minutes, which is nice to see. It's nothing against Prince. He's a very mature player. He's a good leader, but at the same time, you can't just take that and play him 25 minutes a game when the product on the court doesn't really show it. Yeah, and I agree with you everything there about Prince. But just to go back to Tiger for a second, to be fair to Tiger, he is very good at penetration. And even if he can't finish at the rim, when you're good at penetrating the basketball like that, you want to be surrounded by shooters. And UCLA just doesn't have too many of those. Hawkins and Kaiman, sure, but these aren't guys who are playing 35 minutes a night. And so when you're out there surrounded by guys who can't fill it up from deep, then it makes life very difficult for Tiger. So as you said, it'd be better if he was able to, you know, take the threes himself and not rely so much on his teammates, but he isn't there yet in terms of his shooting. Yeah, I, I think something that would definitely help this team is if David Singleton was playing like he did last year, but in more minutes. The issue is he hasn't really gotten too many more minutes, and his production hasn't really gone up either. So, I mean, if you look at his advanced stats, his metrics, there's a little bit of a drop-off from last year. But generally speaking, he's playing fine. I'm curious to see why Cronin isn't giving him more minutes. I mean, he just put him in the starting lineup last week, so I guess that's a good sign for his development, just to kind of see where he's going, give the team more shooting. You get Singleton 
Singleton Kaiman out there at the same time. That's the best shooting lineup you have. You definitely need more more shooting from the four at the very least because Chris Smith will take them, but hasn't really too often. Riley and Hill won't really shoot from three as big men, so that doesn't really help with spacing. It's one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country, definitely in the conference. It's definitely kind of tough, especially considering three years ago you had Lonzo Ball, you had TJ Leaf, you had, you had Bryce Alford, you had Isaac Hamilton, all these guys who could shoot, just pull the trigger and you knew, like flip a coin. Is it going in or not? These guys, it's it's really not that. You don't really have that confidence in them. Yeah, and I just want to give a, a quick shout-out to David Singleton. Came into the year, obviously had the foot injury at the end of last season. We noticed in practice at the beginning of this year, just stuff about David Singleton's game looked off, and even his, his shooting motion looked off. And in these last couple of weeks, I think we've really seen him look more like his old self again. That shooting stroke doesn't exactly look the same as it did, but the success is coming back, and uh, that's important. Yeah, I know Corona was talking about trying to get him to have a higher release because, I mean, he had the production last year and he's shooting over 40% from three. But, I mean, these guys can always improve. I, I trust that Cronin is guiding him the right way. Then going back to the injury, I know Singleton at the very beginning of the season was saying that the foot injury was obviously very intrusive. He broke his foot. He had to learn to walk differently, how to put weight on it differently, and that obviously messes you up uh, for a while. So I'm, I'm glad to see that he's kind of getting back in the swing of things. I think that'll definitely help the team. And I guess that's kind of a so far <laughs> look back. Uh, this team hasn't had too many major wins. Probably uh, at Washington, at Oregon State, are the two most quality wins in the schedule so far. Only a handful of games left, especially only a handful of home games. Ryan, what are you expecting to see down the stretch from this team? Do you think they can kind of put together a good stretch of games, get some momentum going into Vegas? I don't know. What do you think? Obviously, you would love to see them maybe find their way and make a push as we get closer to the end of the season. But I think at this point, we know what this team is. The numbers show that when they keep teams under that 70-ish point benchmark, they win. And if they don't, they lose. And the sample size is, at this point is so large that I think that's a trend that you would you would expect to continue. But again, if they're able to figure out that offense and they're able to bring out that defense that we've seen in spurts this season consistently, then who knows? I mean, it's college basketball. You never really know. It's not like the Pac-12 for men's basketball is all that crazy this year. So just get to the tournament and, you know, see what happens. Yeah, I, I think the thing about the Pac-12 is they're definitely improved this year. Colorado's ranked 20th. Oregon is a borderline top 10 team. You have Arizona knocking on the door. Arizona State's pretty good, too. Stanford had a hot start. Not doing so well right now, but you have some quality teams up there. Thing is, though, once UCLA gets to the Pac-12 tournament, whether they get a bye or not, it doesn't really matter. I think this team has a chance to win at least one game because really the only unbeatable team from a UCLA perspective is Oregon. You saw what happened on Sunday. It was an absolute slaughter. But the rest of the conference and college basketball in general is just kind of a toss-up. Not saying that UCLA is better than an Arizona, Arizona State, USC, but one game, neutral site, hold a few freshmen below their average points per game and you have a good defensive game if you UCLA and who knows maybe you can pull something off I don't think they're going to win the Pac-12 tournament I don't think they're making March Madness but I think that's something good about this team is that when they play well defensively they win and when you have young teams in the Pac-12 like Arizona like Washington then it kind of gives you a little bit of confidence on that front so I guess that's it for basketball UCLA is playing Colorado Thursday night at Poly Pavilion 
By the time this comes out, that will already have happened. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. And Super Bowl Sunday, they're playing Utah at noon. I guess it'll probably be over before the Super Bowl festivities get going. Ryan, you're a you're a big Niners fan, right? I it's am, a big big day for you. Yes, very <laughs> nervous. But at the same time, this has been a great season for the 49ers. The big turnaround from the four win season last year. So win or lose, very happy with the direction of the team. Great. That's that's good. Uh, definitely better than how they were playing under Chip Kelly, yes. who is now at UCLA. So let's uh, let's move on to UCLA football for a bit here. <laughs> There's definitely been a lot of action <laughs> these last few weeks, uh, despite no games, nothing actually going on in the field. But it's very lively. Very two or three weeks here. Too lively, really. You get over a dozen guys entering the transfer portal, a bunch of coaching changes. You got Paul Rhodes, defensive bass coach, is in the new defensive coordinator at Arizona. And then you have Vince Ogabasi. <laughs> Said it better than I would have. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> He was poached by Boston College's new coaching staff. So you're down a defensive line coach, down DB's coach. And then the biggest one of all, even though it hasn't happened yet, we'll see how it goes. Uh, his defensive coordinator, Jerry Asinaro, his contract expires in February. So there's decisions to be made on that front. I don't know, Ryan, what do you think of the, the coaching move so far? How that kind of shapes next season, shapes spring practices? What, what's your take? You know, I think with this team, there's going to be so much overturn, especially with the way the transfer portal is looking. I mean, you'll see with the other coaches, but really the big one is Jerry Azanero. Obviously, last year was probably the worst that defense has looked from start to finish in a season that I've seen in my four years Probably, here. Probably ever. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are calling for his head. Chip stood by his guy the entire season, and, you know, he's got to make decisions here in the next couple days, so... I'm really interested to see what happens there. We'll see what types of candidates pop up that'll be available to UCLA if Asanero decides or if the team decides to part ways with him. But definitely this team could look very different next year on that side of the ball with the new defensive coordinator. And I think that will come to the delight of of all UCLA football fans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any anything is better than last year uh, in terms of this defense. Change is not always a good thing in general, but when you're changing the worst thing ever, which that UCLA defense was, <laughs> that pass defense was the worst in program history then change is good doesn't mean the defense will be good but probably will be better it, it, it's tough seeing the position coaches go away because even though their position groups didn't perform particularly well the secondary didn't do great the pass rush didn't do great it is tough because those guys are key recruiters so that that definitely hurts in terms of getting commits uh the, those are the guys who go to high schools who talk to these guys who really build a connection because chip does that too but the, the position coaches are really uh, like that's their specialty in the offseason is doing that kind of stuff so that is tough to see those guys go. In terms of Azanaro, in my opinion, I, I feel like he kind of has to go. There kind of has to be some sort of decision made. You can't just roll back with the same coordinators, same head coach, same starter, same whatever, and just expect better results. So Azanaro is, in my opinion, the easy choice to go. There are still coaching moves going on out there. I mean, like Arizona hired Paul Rott. Paul Rose not too long ago, and Hawaii is still getting coaches. You're UCLA. You have money. You can poach people. Obviously, you don't want to spend too much on a coordinator, especially considering all the buyouts that the school has done, considering that the athletics program isn't turning too much of a profit these days. But there there will definitely be options out there. And when we are talking about position coaches, though, I just want to give a, a quick shout-out to Don Pelham because I was on Twitter the other day, and I, I saw this guy in a three-piece suit at a, at a high school recruiting these guys. The coach... 
the high school coach he was talking to is just in his normal like hoodie tracksuit whatever it was don pelham was in the coolest looking suit you will ever find uh he's the inside linebackers coach a position that's done pretty well for ucla even with the lackluster defense past two years so he's one of the coaches who has done particularly well uh it's gonna tough losing about five linebackers from this team but if we're giving style points to assistant coaches he's definitely up there i will say i am very excited to see bo calvert next season we didn't get to see a lot of him this year obviously but he played in that final game and boy, did he look very good. Oh, he was all over the field. He's like a classic, just like, I mean, this term is usually used for, for a free safety, but I mean, it, it works for him too. Just a total ball hawk. He's not the best in the past, uh, but he just moves really well. And that's something that I'll, I think will be fun to watch. Talk about losing five linebackers, five starting linebackers, really. But just in general, losing a lot of players. You have 12, 13, 14, however many guys who are in the transfer portal right now, probably not going to be on the roster next year. Have a lot of guys cut ties. Really only two guys leave early for the draft and Asiasi and Darnay Holmes. So the, the transfer thing seems to be more of an issue. Who do you think of the, the big losses on that front, Ryan? Oh man, there's just so many at this point. Um I think losing the tight ends is going to be big. This offense has revolved around the tight end for so many years now with the lack of that just outside threat. I mean, there was Jordan Lasley there for a couple of years, but I mean, this this offense has always revolved around its tight ends. It's been Caleb Wilson. It's been Asiasi. It's been Jordan Wilson from time to time. You know, I think not having that go-to tight end, it's now Mike Martinez and uh, Devin Dulcich. Yeah, Greg Dulcich. Greg Dulcich. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think that's going to be a big transition for Chip as well. You know, his his offense always has the jumbo sets and stuff like that. So he's going to have to figure that out. And then obviously on defense, losing all those linebackers is going to be definitely tough to adjust. But again, Bo Calvert. I think he's a good person to step in and fill some of those shoes that have been lost out there. So this team, the expectations haven't been high. So I think next year it's kind of going to be the same, unfortunately. But I think there are still some guys that it'll be exciting to see what they have because I think these guys are more of those foundational pieces rather than guys that were left over from the Mora era and uh, the very early Chip Kelly. Yeah, I, I think the the tight end thing is really going to be tough. Matt Lynch didn't do too much after moving from quarterback to tight end, but losing him as a grad transfer, it hurts depth. Devin Asiasi going in the draft, that hurts because he was the lead tight end, one of the lead receivers on the team. And now Jordan Wilson, too, had seven receptions, over 100 yards in the season. Not a lot, but more than some of these other guys. It's definitely going to be tough, I think, especially for DTR, because he's a guy who likes to move around a lot. And when you have, not that he's small, but like definitely smaller in frame than some of these other guys, when you have him running around a lot, it's great for him to have a check down. And you have running backs, but you don't want to be so one-dimensional in your passing game that you just like, oh, have a halfback run a slip screen every time. Like you, you need these tight ends to just sit out there in the flat and that's something that Asiasi was good at, something that Caleb Wilson was good at, and they turned it into big yards. I don't know if this team has that guy right now. Uh, there's a few more weeks until National Signing Day, so maybe they can pick up a tight end like that. But when it comes to Greg Dolchich, he's a good red zone target. I think he was last year. Not too much lateral movement from him, though, so outside of maybe just like a short fade in the red zone, I don't think he can give you too much. Mike Martinez, though, I, I do have hope for because he's super athletic, big guy. Very big. Big hands. He definitely has the most raw talent at the position group. He'll only be a a sophomore next year, so he'll be young. He has time to develop. So it may be tough on DTR, who's trying to take that next step next year. But in terms of Mike Martinez's development, I think it's going to be really good. 
Yeah, um, I think I think the reality of the situation with the offense next year is they're going to need Kyle Phillips and Chase Coda to be those big-time receiving targets that they hope they'd be. And, I mean, we've seen Kyle Phillips, what he can do. I mean, he, I don't think anyone is worried about the production that he'll be able to bring. But this team, I think it's going to have to spread the ball out a little bit more than it has in years past in their chip, and it starts with it starts with Phillips and Coda. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely tough. I, I guess it's not too much of a change because you didn't have him that much this year, but Theo Howard going to Oklahoma, that's definitely tough. You would have liked to have seen him back, but the way things kind of broke down in the middle of the season last year for him, whether it was because of injuries or whatever it was, uh, it was definitely tough to watch because he was definitely the most reliable receiver on this team in 2018, and you would have liked to see him come back and do a little more. He did what's best for him, though. I can't wait to see him at Oklahoma with whoever their next Heisman winning quarterback is going to be because he's really good. So outside of Theo, who didn't play that much this past year, I think the next biggest loss on the transfer market is probably Christophany Murray, which I know isn't like a, a big name because you know, offensive linemen aren't the money makers in college football most of the time, especially these offensive guards. But as a second year, Christophany Murray started, like he was a, a total linchpin in the UCLA offensive line. One of the most consistent guys on that offensive line. It's definitely going to be tough seeing him go between him and Joshua Kelly who's graduating. It's really going to hurt the run game if you lose that interior offensive line and the key running back who made it work. So it's definitely going to be a challenge for the offense next year. Especially uh, with with Boss also. Yep, Boss graduating. I mean, this offensive line is going to look very different than it did this year. So that's something they're going to have to figure out. Usually the offensive line is something that comes together throughout camp anyways. But, I mean, not having that that leader right in the middle with Boss and now Christophany, who no one expected that. That's going to be a big transition for this team. Yeah, I mean, hope, hopefully you have uh, Jake Burton back, and he's a redshirt junior this year. He has another year of eligibility, but I don't know what his deal is. And then luckily you have Sean Ryan, who is right tackle. He can play left tackle. His pro football focus is college. He was all-team, uh, all-American freshman. So he's obviously someone you can you can rely on. It's definitely good to have a, a great young tackle to kind of base your offensive line off of, but the guys around him in that interior are definitely going to change. That's going to be tough. Really looking forward to spring practices to see who kind of steps up on those fronts. It'll definitely be interesting. Question for you. Do you think this offense will be more run-oriented as it's been the last two years under Chip, or do you think that because of their running backs, guys like Kaz and Irby, who are very good receiving backs, and Felton, of course, do you think they might make that transition to an air attack offense despite not having that that tight end or the big receiver on the outside yeah i think they i mean we'll see what chip does but i feel like he doesn't really have that much of a choice dtr would have some games especially his freshman year but this year too where like he barely attempt 20 passes that can't happen anymore you don't have josh kelly you don't have that workhorse you have running backs, but most of them are kind of gadget guys. Uh, not not to sell them short, they're all really talented guys. But, I mean, you saw what happened when Kelly was out at the beginning of the year. Like, Demetric Felton was your lead running back, and he Demetric Felton is not an every-down back. Him working up the middle was not the most effective use on his front. 
Irby's good, athletic, small and shifty kind of guy. He's definitely has some of the weight that a bunch of the other guys don't. But just between it's DTR's third year, he will have started maybe about 16, 17 games in his career heading into next year. And I, I think you kind of just have to put trust in him. Those third down plays where it used to just be a third and one, fourth and one, Joshua Kelly at the middle, whether it worked or not, that was the play call almost every time. <laughs> yes. You you definitely have to, have to get more creative with it. You have the receiving backs. You have Chase Coda, you have Irwin, you have these weapons. Not a lot of them, but at the very least, DTR is familiar with them. We'll see what happens with Mike Martinez, Greg Dolchich. I think you kind of have to turn towards the pass game. Not a total air raid. You're not bombing it out 40 yards on first down every time, but I definitely want to see DTR with the ball in his hands more often, whether he's running it or whether he's doing bootlegs, like whatever it is. I think the offense is definitely relying on DTR next year. So I, I, I guess that's all we have on the, the UCLA football front. looking at week four week five here at ucla so we got a bunch of the winter and spring sports already uh in full swing a few more coming up on the way ryan i know both of us are our big ucla baseball guys we try to go to as many games as we can what, what are your thoughts on the baseball team this year just to kind of rattle off some spring sports just kind of give our thoughts on those yeah, obviously the biggest thing with baseball is they're one of the best teams in the country last year. They lost a slew of their best players. I mean, just guys left and right, but it's UCLA baseball. They fill in those holes. They're consistent. But the big thing I am excited for with UCLA baseball this year is just Garrett Mitchell. I want to see Garrett Mitchell uh, really break out on the scene. He was a top 10 draft pick uh, coming out of high school, and he hasn't really had that opportunity to shine as the main star for UCLA baseball yet. And I think now with guys like Tolia and Idens and these guys not in the picture anymore, I'm really excited to see what Garrett Mitchell does now as kind of the guy. Yeah, I, I definitely think that Garrett Mitchell is the star of this team. You have you have other guys. You got pitchers on this team who are really good, but Garrett Mitchell is the one who can really turn into an MLB like star i mean we, we've been around this team for three years four years in your case talking to john savage talking to the other players and everyone just raves about how garrett mitchell is like a five tool guy right off the bat his his freshman year he didn't have a lot of power but last year he kind of turned it around had six home runs ops approaching a thousand i think it'll definitely break that this year and i'm just kind of looking forward to the numbers he puts up uh nick nastrini is another name uh i'm looking for a big breakout from this season he didn't lose any of his first handful of appearances last year year towards the start of the year he had an injury that held him out until the postseason he played well in the postseason one of the best eras in the team so i'm really looking forward to what he can do any other spring winter sports that kind of catch your eye this year ryan I haven't looked too deep into the spring sports yet. You know, us going from football to basketball real quick and then... Yep, it's always, um, a, it's always a, a big transition. <laughs> yep, and you know, basketball has just been very interesting this year. I think even though they haven't been great, there's just a lot of things that catch my attention, whether it be their, their growth and stuff like that. So obviously baseball is the one thing that I always keep an eye on regardless of what I'm doing elsewhere. So really looking forward to baseball. Obviously softball, their run last year was magnificent. So definitely look Looking forward to seeing the softball team come out and try to defend their national title. Yeah, they uh, they have Maya Brady this year. For those of you who don't know, who's the niece of Tom Brady. So championship DNA in the locker room. I like to see it. And Ryan, I know both of us, uh, just from our 
Daily Bruin days come from a, a women's basketball background. That's where we both got our starts on yes. that beat. Team's doing really well this year. Michaela Onyenwere is playing out of her mind at 31 points last week. And I, I think that that team is one that can really go far in tournament. They've made a bunch of Sweet 16s in a row. They've made an Elite Eight. This might be the year they can finally take the jump. They've been knocking on the door of a top five team all season long. They're undefeated until that heartbreaker double overtime loss at USC. But they've turned it around since then, those two games. They picked up wins there. They have definitely a tough stretch coming up. They get Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State all on the slate. And those are those are really tough games to win. Those are among the best teams in the country. We'll see how they play against them. Yeah, absolutely. And shout out to Corey Close. I mean, that, that program has been consistent from the time I stepped foot on this campus to now. She's always finding talent, whether it be transfers or recruiting. Uh, she's just so good at what she does. And even though this year's team... It might not be the most talented team they've had in the last couple of years. It just has a different feel to it. Mm-hmm. They win. Onionware is just unstoppable. They've got scoring all over the place. I'm really excited to see what happens in the tournament, and I think people should really start paying attention if they aren't already to this team because I think we could have a pretty fun early spring between women's basketball and gymnastics softball baseball this could be a really fun spring for UCLA sports yeah for sure and uh keeping on that women's basketball topic just a shout out to Dylan D'Souza who just wrote a great feature on Natalie Cho that is online at dailybruin.com definitely try and find that read that it's definitely a great story about uh her journey uh as a basketball player so it's definitely interesting nice job Dylan uh the whole women's basketball beats doing great coverage gymnastics beats doing great coverage so uh keep an eye out for that and I guess that's that's about all we have for this first episode of Out of Bounds, the revival version. <laughs> it's been a while uh, since this has kind of been a thing. Ryan and I have been talking for a while about getting this started. So we, I, I promise we'll have a little bit more of a, an agenda moving forward. This is definitely a catch-up episode, just kind of talking about the big topics last few weeks, catching up on these big teams. So Ryan, what, what do you think about uh, moving forward this podcast? First episode, now in the bag. What your thoughts <laughs> it's fun man i like it. i like it it's definitely something we've been talking about for a while it's good that we we got to sit down and do this definitely you know we'll get this thing going with more of a structure more of an agenda and hopefully as we wind down into spring we'll have a lot more exciting stuff to talk about yeah of course it's definitely fun get dipping our toes in here <laughs> trying to juggle around some technical difficulties we don't understand at all. Uh, So yeah, once again, I am Sam Conan, sports editor at the Daily Bruin, joined by Ryan Smith, Daily Bruin senior staff. Uh, I'd like to thank Omar Saeed, uh, who is the podcast editor at the Daily Bruin, formerly from Opinion, who is helping us out on this, helping us start this. He's definitely definitely helping out where we don't know what we're doing, but we like talking sports. We like talking sports with you guys, whoever's listening. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining. Of course. Yeah, so come back next week, I guess, and have a nice weekend. Definitely better than, and this is a really smooth transition here on my part.
I'm sorry I don't have as smooth a transition to this, but uh, 